life. I remember asking the old rabbi, how can all these faiths in the world exist? I mean, doesn't one have to be right and all the other ones have to be wrong? Faith, I was really having so much trouble and feeling such a lot of pain about losing dad and also about did I do everything I should have and could have for him? That was that kind of torment. Off I went to a spiritual medium. Spirituality. With a painful, cracking voice. He say, I'm scared. And I know you can kill me. But I have to tell you this. Jesus loves you, Nikki. Well, I surrender to his love. <laughs> More than this. With Sheridan Boise. Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the More Than This podcast. Sheridan Boise here today. We're going to be exploring those famous words of Jesus that are just so tricky. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemy. What on earth do those words mean in an age of terrorism? And especially in light of Friday's attacks in Paris, claimed by ISIS that have left us all reeling again and wondering how on earth do we protect ourselves? How do we interpret those words, turn the other cheek, in the face of terrorists? We'll explore that in today's episode. Firstly, I do love getting your voicemails, and Dave had something to add on our last episode, Overcoming the Four Forces That Destroy Relationships. Thanks, Sheridan. This is a great post. Uh, One thing that you haven't mentioned is misplaced relationships, where I go into a relationship expecting my partner to complete me, and yet it's an impossible burden to place on another human being that they should meet all our expectations of happiness. And that demand that I place on another can become a powerfully destructive force on a relationship and it will doom us to failure. Thanks so much, Dave. I think you've added something really important there. Uh, We cannot place all of our hopes and dreams on another person's shoulders. They'll crumble underneath the weight. That's a recipe for relational ruin if I've ever come across one. Thanks for adding it in. If you'd like to add a voicemail on anything, actually, that is uh, on the blog, SheridanVoise.com, you'll find the little button on the right-hand side there, and then just uh, leave me a 40-second message or so. Look forward to hearing from you. Okay, well, Friday's horrific attacks in Paris, claimed by ISIS that have left us all shocked and saddened and grieving for the 150 families who have lost loved ones, the hundreds more with loved ones missing or injured, and have a scrambling for solutions again to uh, jihadist terrorism. What on earth do we do in the face of these kinds of attacks? Now, I believe Jesus has something powerful to say to the problem of terrorism, but his words need to be carefully understood before we go and just apply them willy-nilly to a big situation like that. I'm going to give a few caveats during this episode, actually, because I think so many people who are not fully informed uh, can just race to social media, race to blogs and podcasts, and give all sorts, sprout all sorts of so-called wisdom about what should be done to counter terrorism. I don't think we need any more voices. But as a follower of Jesus and someone who's kind of keen on other people learning to follow him too, I think we should then try and start to wrestle with what he means by these kinds of phrases. Let's uh, explore what Jesus has to say, what it means, and then I will tentatively pull out five ideas, I think, when it comes to the follower of Jesus responding to terrorism in the spirit of Jesus. Firstly, there are generally two ways to respond to mistreatment. When we are attacked or mistreated in some way, option one is to get even. The Old Testament allowed for some degree of this. Remember the famous phrase, Uh, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You are allowed to get back exactly 
what was taken from you. No more, by the way. That was the eye for eye thing. It was no more than an eye if somebody's taken your eye. You can't take any more than that. Option two is to give in, to let the perpetrator get away with what they have done. Now, Jesus picks up both of these kinds of strands in his Sermon on the Mount when he says this. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. Now, at first, it sounds like Jesus is affirming option number two, right? That we should give up and let the bullies win. It sounds self-destructive. Don't resist an evil person. But he's not saying that. In fact, he is giving us an ingenious third option beyond getting even or giving in. I really wrestled with this passage while I was writing Resilient, my book of reflections on the Sermon on the Mount. I wrestled long and hard to work out what does it mean? Don't resist an evil person. Now, it's interesting to note that some of the commentators would say that's probably not the best translation of the original Greek. And of course, Jesus would have spoken Aramaic. Probably the best way to translate that is do not return evil with the same kind of evil. But if you really want to understand what he means by that, he goes on and explains it by giving some famous illustrations. Here he goes. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a while, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Now, it's key that we understand these in the light of the culture Jesus was speaking into. In Jesus' day, a slap to the cheek was not as much assault as it was insult. It was a humiliating gesture. It was done with the back of the right hand to the right cheek. You can imagine this kind of backhanded slap. To be sued for your shirt meant that you were so poor and you couldn't pay your bills, you were now having your very clothes taken from you. And to carry a Roman soldier's pack was a demeaning task for a Jew. And they were, could be demanded at any time. Roman could come along and say, hey, you, pick up my pack, carry it for me. I want to go for a walk. Now, Jesus uses these three humiliating experiences to describe a response to injustice that actually empowers a victim to respond without retaliating. If you're insulted with a slap, he says, don't slap back or accept the denigration surprise the offender by offering your left cheek too. It's a surprising move. They won't know what to do, and you will show that you are above repaying the insult by slapping them back. If you're unjustly sued by someone greedy, don't take revenge or give in. Expose their greed by offering them all your clothes. This is an act of exaggeration. This is kind of street theatre. And if you're asked to carry a soldier's pack, don't get violent or feel inferior. You take charge by going even further than you've been asked. What Jesus is doing is empowering the victim in this case to take a proactive response in each of the situations that they find themselves in to move beyond humiliation to have some sort of power in it. Now, here is what Jesus is saying and here is what he isn't saying. What he's not saying is that evil should be rewarded, that self-defense is wrong, or that injustice should be tolerated. What he is saying is that evil shouldn't be resisted in equally evil ways. When we are insulted, humiliated, when we face injustice, or even when we're attacked, don't get even, 
Don't give in, but get creative. Don't get even. Don't give in. Get creative. The Apostle Paul summarized this in his famous phrase, Don't let evil conquer you. You conquer evil with good. Now, what does this mean in the face of terror? Actually, a few hours after the uh, attacks in Paris, I was uh, speaking in London to a conference of Christian communicators, the uh, premier digital conference. And uh, my subject that I'd been given was create hope. And I was encouraging the uh, bloggers and other people that are interested in uh, communicating in the digital world not to be creators of sentimentality or of cynicism, but of hope with their words and their podcasts and their blogs and everything else that they were doing. And it's interesting that that kind of language has been picked up by others in the last few days to talk about our approach to terrorism. Sentimentality is not going to help us fight terrorism. As touching as that little video of the father soothing his son over the attacks. Have you seen that? I've got a link to it on today's show notes. It's a beautiful, beautiful, touching experience of a reporter interviewing. He must be maybe a two-year-old or a three-year-old boy. And just he's trying to process what has happened to his city. And he's feeling like uh, it's not safe and they're going to have to move their houses. And so there's this lovely little conversation that happens between the father and the son, the father just comforting the son and saying, no, we're not going to have to move. We're going to stay here. Don't worry. The nasty people are not going to win. And in the end, they're talking about candles and about flowers and how, you know, the candles and the flowers will protect us. It's the best thing, I think, that a father could have done for his son. But the fact is that when when we share that video, we're kind of saying the candles and the flowers are what we should be focusing on. Fact is, candles and flowers are not going to protect us from this kind of atrocity happening again. The same kind of thing happens when would-be activist types glibly declare on social media that non-violence is the solution to terrorism, and they're often doing this far away from any violence themselves. It's just too easy to give glib, sentimental responses in these kinds of moments. I am truly sobered by the fact that Andrew White the well-known vicar of Baghdad, as he's been known, who has paid a very heavy cost for working for peace in Iraq. He himself has called for troops to be sent into Iraq to combat ISIS. He said the Christian community is decimated. He hasn't got a church anymore. I spoke to him years ago, and then he was under bodyguard protection. He lost two or 300 members of his church by that stage. Uh, He was under constant threat, and he is even calling for troops to come in to Iraq to battle ISIS. Now, if somebody like him is saying something like this, we need to be very humble when it comes to our responses and, I guess, applying these words of Jesus to such a horrific situation. Very few of us are sufficiently informed about the realities of terrorism to go and boldly state anything. And this situation is just so complex, a complex mix of ideology and culture and warped religion and retaliation over past events and just pure evil. So I'm not going to add to any chorus of solutions being offered. But what I am going to do is kind of try and work out, speak out, brainstorm with you as to what these words of Jesus about loving our enemy, turning the other cheek, doing those kinds of things, not resisting evil with evil, what that might look like in this current moment when we're faced with things like terrorism. Let me give you five ideas. I'd love to hear your response on this. As long as it's respectful, I know that this can stir up a lot of emotions. SheridanVoise.com slash 055 and give me a response. Number one, if we are to be faithful to Jesus, then we must deal with truth and not error. 
There is just so much fear-mongering going on right now with horrific articles that are taking little ideas and exploding them into these big exaggerated claims about refugees being uh, infiltrated by terrorists. Now, we know that is happening, but not to the degree that people are saying and to the degree that people are now saying, let's close the doors on refugees. These people themselves are victims of terrorism. The facts can sometimes be hard to confirm, but we should be sticking to reputable media reporting, not the propaganda of fringe alarmists on various sides of the issue. Number two, if we are to be faithful to Jesus, we must renounce revenge, either in word or in deed. Any force that is used must be used to save innocent lives and restrain evil. It must not be used to repay terrorists, to pay back their country, to pay back their religion or anything like that. I've linked to an article on today's show notes. If you dare, (laughs) go and read the comments below it connected to this point. It's repugnant. Now, this is on a Christian website, but of course it's a blog. You don't know who is responding, but it's overwhelmingly repugnant, the kind of things that people are actually saying in the comments uh, with the profanity and the way that they're going to murder these Muslims and they're going to shoot them down. They're going to do all sorts of horrific things to them. We've got no place for that kind of language in the family of God. Number three, if we're to be faithful to Jesus, prayerful, imaginative response is required. We are not to surrender, but we are to be creative and do surprising acts that interrupt the cycle of violence. Retaliation is easy. Just follow your natural inclination to go and swipe and hit back, whether it be in word or in deed. This is hard work, actually. This requires prayer and study and creativity. Maybe we need to get some artists and performers involved in strategizing actually how we go about doing this, because that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about doing surprising acts that take the offender by surprise and expose what they're doing while at the same time not descending to their level of evil. Number four, if we're to be faithful to Jesus, we must be clear who the enemy is. In this case, it is the so-called ISIS It is other jihadist terrorist groups. It is not Syrian refugees. It's not Muslims in general. Blaming all Muslims for Islamic terrorism. It's kind of like the same as blaming all Christians for the hate rallies and the God hates fags placards that Westboro Baptist go and do. You can't say that the acts of one person then are completely and utterly reflected in the entire group that they are connected to. It's just not logic. When we confuse this, we also can play into the terrorist's hands. Uh, Australian peace activist Jared McKenna, who has helped me work through some of these issues, by the way. Thank you, Jared. He said this during the week. ISIS wants you to hate Muslims. It's their best tool for recruitment. Don't let ISIS win. Love your Muslim neighbor. And number five, which leads nicely on. If we are to be faithful to Jesus, then we are to love our enemy. This is where Jesus goes next with his turn-the-other-cheek idea. He tells us to pray for our enemies, to meet their physical needs, to show them kindness. Now, I know straight away we kind of go, this is naive. If they're running towards us with knives, with guns, with machetes, and we're supposed to show them kindness, I don't know the answer to every single instance of terrorism and how this plays out. But this is what we're called to do. Keep in mind, Muslims around the world right now 
at an escalating rate are having dramatic visions of Jesus where he is presenting himself to them in dream form and they are coming, becoming followers of Jesus as a result of people's prayers. Keep in mind the story of former KKK leader Johnny Lee Clary and his transformation. I've got the story on the blog. Prayer and kindness can be powerful, powerful spiritual weapons when it comes to terrorism. Now, some question whether Jesus' call for nonviolence can be applied to nation states. They say, well, it's only, it's only really applied to interpersonal relationships. It is a very good question, one we have to wrestle with. But keep in mind, when Jesus was originally giving these words on the mountain as he gave the Sermon on the Mount, these were directed at people who are under Roman occupation. And the Romans could resort to terrorism, for instance, crucifixion, to enforce their rule. Jesus was giving his followers tools to respond to organized evil. And of course, Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. after him demonstrated what can happen when one applies these kinds of ideas beyond interpersonal relationships. Now, we cannot be naive. Islamic terrorism is very real. Western countries are its target. Scripture also affirms the role that governments have in enforcing order for the safety of its citizens. But the history of the world shows that violence begets violence and Christians are called to live differently. I do not have all the answers to this and I would not want to even suggest that I do. This is not simple stuff. But we can say this. Any response that says, bomb them, kill them, deport all Muslims and shut the door on refugees isn't a fully Christian response in light of Jesus' words. Remember, don't get even. Don't give in. Get creative. Don't conquer evil with more evil, conquer evil with good. Look forward to your comments on SheridanVoisey.com slash 055. If you haven't, I would love a review of this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you were collected each week. Thanks so much for listening to more than this. Talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.